Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Could we just, um, without it feeling like tradition or even a transition from song to scripture, could we just bow our heads in a position and posture of recognizing that God is over all things? And would you just in your heart, in your own words, declare that he is Lord of all? God, you deserve all our praise. And quite honestly, you deserve more than the praise that we can give. God, the words that we sing, whether they are from a heart of passion or they are from a heart of just casual being flippant, you see our heart. And you know everything about us. You are God. You are Lord. And whether we feel thankful or not does not determine the reality that you deserve it all. So God, some of us right now, we pray. And some of us right now are just bowing our heads in recognition that you're God. So God, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Let your Holy Spirit speak through me, teach, convict, lead, guide. Open up your word. Let it be real and alive and sharp and fresh to our life today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I like who's in the room today because the kids know how to participate. Kids, can you say amen? You know what that means to say amen? It literally means that you are agreeing with God or you are hearing some truth and you agree with what that truth is. Now, some of you are in this room today and you're a little bit surprised that I'm up here on the stage and I can just be honest and transparent with you and tell you so am I. Um, it's somewhat a transi- uh, tradition that in our home after Thanksgiving, my father, my husband, our sons, my son-in-law, that they will leave that afternoon and with bellies full drive to a place to then hunt the next day. And so that is what they did. And then yesterday, Mike got sick. And my He was even, I guess, too sick to text me. I'm not really sure because I didn't hear a thing. What I heard was from my daughter who got a text from her husband that said, hey, your dad is really sick. And so Mike comes home last night and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, babe, like he was weak, just everything. And he went to bed at six o'clock last night. I think we determined that he had food poisoning. 
Um, so he goes to bed last night, sets the alarm. He gets up at 4.30 this morning, and he goes, you know what? I think, I think I'm good. It's like, great, you know? And so he's preparing to come. He's showered. He's dressed. He's got his notes out. He's got his Bible out. He's praying. He's reading, and I'm watching him just kind of go downhill. And about 5.30 this morning, he says, Lori, I can't do this. I need you to teach. And I want to set the record straight, too, before there's any, like, false assumptions or wrong assessments. The food that he ate, I did not cook. So this is not my fault. But even as I stand here this morning, like, this was not the plan, people. Um, I'm thinking, like, through, okay, God, what do you want me to teach? And... To be quite honest with you, I feel like some, somewhat this morning, I'm kind of like straddling, like I'm going back to a passage that I've actually taught here before, and with that comes a little bit of this fear, like, well, I've already taught that passage before, and maybe even some of the stories that I'm going to tell, like, they're going to be thinking like, ah, oh, yeah, I already know that, like, I've heard that before, and then there's this other foot that is straddling where I'm standing, where it's this passage that is like, not only is it like one of my favorite passages, but the season of life that I'm in and the landscape that I have been walking over the past few months, these verses feel almost too real. Where it kind of like surfaces this place in my heart that is incredibly tender and vulnerable. And so it would be wrong for us to leave today and leave with some kind of false assessment or some wrong assumption that, you know, that we come to this conclusion and the conversation is this, is like, you know, as a pitch hitter, Lori either did really well or Lori did really terrible. That would be the wrong narrative to leave here with today. But the right narrative to leave here with today would be this, is that together even though it's unexpected, even though it isn't as planned, that we would leave here today knowing that, you know what? We gathered together with a room of people, some that we know, some that we don't know, some that are online. And you know what we did? We opened up the word of God that is real and it is active. And while at times the passages even seem familiar, they are also fresh and they generate and at times they even surface a place in you just like it does in me, a place where it's personal and a place where it's vulnerable, a place that perhaps we experience God through a familiar passage but in a brand new way in this journey of life that we are on. We're going to be looking at 25 verses in the passage of Psalm 139. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's great. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will appear on the screen. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, while Taylor's like, you know, telling us about Thanksgiving and how thankful we are that it's over. We are stepping into Christmas season. And we've even got Christmas trees that the ladies gathered together. They decorated out in our foyer and so forth. And so it almost seems appropriate, too, 
this passage that while it doesn't seem like to, you know, to begin Christmas that you would find a Christmas message in the chapter or in the book of Psalm, but what we're going to be looking at is this concept right here. God is with us. Boys and girls, do you know this word? Emmanuel. You know that word? Can you say it with me? Emmanuel. You know what it means? You know what Emmanuel means? Anybody know? It means God is with us. So this passage that we're going to be looking at is really going to be a very detailed picture of what it looks like, what it is to experience a all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who is with us. And yet at the same time this morning as I was like trying to read through notes and try to think, God, what is it that you want us to look at and hear from you today? I even begin to think this, not only is it Christmas, but it's winter. And you could feel it this morning when you walked out. We had our grandkids with us this weekend, and so we would walk, and you could see the wind blowing in the trees, and they're young enough that they're always pointing out, leaf, 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 right? And what you're seeing is you're seeing as the wind blows all of these leaves falling off of the tree, and it looks beautiful. We love the fall colors on the ground. But have you ever noticed when the trees still had the dead leaves on them? And the wind's blowing. It's almost like they are hanging on with grit, with all their might. They're trying to strong arm the wind almost so that they don't get blown off the tree. But pretty soon there's this release and there's this clean sever of this leaf that as the wind blows, it just kind of floats and flitters until it lands on the ground. And what happens to that leaf, boys and girls, when it lands on the ground? It's dead. It dies. And you know that there is actually a verse in Scripture that says that unless a kernel of wheat, like a seed, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. As I was getting my heart prepared this morning, um, somewhat even wrestling with God, which maybe some of you are doing that in here too, where Taylor was saying, you know, we ought to be thankful. It's right for us to be thankful. And you were thinking within yourself, yeah, well, you can make me say it, but I don't feel it. Kind of like a two-year-old that you make them go to the other two-year-old when they took their toy away and you say, go to them and they say, I'm sorry. And they say, I'm sorry. But you know, as a parent, they're not really sorry. You're just going through the motions. They're just going through the motions of saying, I'm sorry. Just like Taylor's telling us, say, you know, you got to be thankful. You got to be thankful. But even though you might not feel thankful, it's still a reality in God's scripture, in his word, that we are to have a thankful heart. So maybe you're not thankful, but maybe God is teaching you to be thankful. And in order often for us to come to that place, of learning these things, it requires us to release. It requires us to let go. It requires us, in some sense, to fall to the ground and die. You know the story of Moses? When Moses experiences this burning bush and God is speaking to him, And God tells Moses, Moses, I'm going to use you to go and to deliver my people out of Egypt. And what does Moses do when God is speaking to him? Moses argues with God. 
He is debating God. I can't do this. I'm not capable. There is absolutely no way. And so God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, hey, what is that in your hand? You know what was in his hand? A staff, kind of like a stick, right? Well, you know what? When my boys were little, they could pick up any stick in the backyard. And you know what that stick became? It became like a lightsaber. And they were warring off something, right? Or it became a sword. And they were slaying dragons on a pirate ship. To them, that's what the stick was. But they could throw it down, come inside, get a snack. And our dog could be in the backyard and pick up that stick. You know what that stick was to that dog? A chew toy. When that dog gets finished with that stick, that dog drops it out of its mouth. My husband could go in the backyard, get the lawnmower, and start mowing the yard, see this big stick, and to him, it's in the way. He picks it up, he throws it onto the kindle, into some firewood that we're going to use for kindling later on. Everybody had a different view of the stick. But God asked Moses, what's that in your hand? And he says, it's a staff, it's a stick. And God tells him to do what? Throw it down. Release it. And what did it become? A snake. That's right. And then God tells Moses to do what? Pick up the snake. Are you kidding me? Like, for real? And so the scripture doesn't say this in Bible, but I have to think that Moses, like, hesitated. Like, God, like, we need to talk about this, right? But Moses reaches down. He picks up the snake. And what does it become? A staff. That's right. Let me ask you this. What changed? The stick absolutely changed. Good answer. You know what else changed? Was it Moses' view of the stick? Or was it Moses' view of God? Who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. And the only requirement of Moses was to throw down the stick. I want to invite you to, I'll just, I'll invite you as a friend. I'll invite you as a community together. Like, I'll say it this way. I'm in a place where I've got to let go of some things because God is teaching me some things. And you know what? I don't want to do it alone. I thought I wanted to do it alone. I thought, I can do this by myself. Strong arm my way through it. Hold on with all my life. Just have enough grit and strength. But you know what? I can't. And I've come to the conclusion I also can't do it alone. And so I want to invite you, as like we're at the introduction of the Christmas season, where we are worshiping, where we are considering God, who sent his son Jesus, which says a lot more about him than it actually does about you and me. But I want to invite you during this season, I don't know what you're holding on to. Maybe it's just the same old, same old, same old. Maybe it's a routine. Maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe it's the scheduled. Maybe it's the to-do list. Maybe it's the constant comparing yourself with others. It's this, it's this, it's this. I want to invite you at the beginning of this holiday season, not waiting until December 24th or 25th, but right now to release whatever it is that you are white knuckle holding on to and release it before God as painful and as difficult and as unknowing as it might be, and see what he might do with it. Because your perspective probably will not change of what it is you let go of, but your perspective will change of who God is.
We're going to look at Psalm 139. And as we do, what you're going to see is when I look at this passage, to me there's, there's like these bookends where on one side we have verse 1 where David says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And we could put this category, this book in, we could call it recognition of intimacy that David is saying, I recognize, God, you are intimate with me. And then he's going to take us on this journey. And then we're going to get to this other bookend. And this bookend is going to be more of an invitation to intimacy. Where David is not just recognizing, God, you're intimate with me. He's now saying, oh, God, be intimate with me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to travel. We're going to start at this bookend. We're going to travel in between. And we are going to begin to see this. That we are known. We are seen. We are created. We are loved and we are comforted. Now, those truths to you might be incredibly basic. So be it. Because to be quite honest with you, there are things that I've taught before that I'm now struggling with. There are things that at times, listen, it can be a lip theology where we just say it. We just repost that meme. And God wants to move it from a lip theology to some cognitive thought and concept to a lived theology where it's practical and it's real and it's intimate and it is personal. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to see that there are these four stanzas in Psalm 139. And what we're going to do in these four stanzas is we're going to put a label over each of these stanzas. But it's going to require, as we do, it's going to require humility. Maybe the kind of humility that you've never exercised before. A kind of humility where we begin to truly, really believe that God is who he says he is. And it's going to require vulnerability that we are who God says that we are. Here's going to be the label in the first stanza. It's this. God knows me, and his knowledge of me is terrifyingly trustworthy. I know that sounds like a paradox. It is. So it's like, wait a minute, Lori. If, is God's knowledge of me, is it terrifying or is it trustworthy? And I want to say this. Yes, it is both. It is a paradox. When the guys went off hunting, we, my, one of my daughters and daughter-in-law, we kept um, four children, two and under. And when all, that, you, that should evoke some kind of sympathy or something. Um, and so, and we did this for like, this wasn't like working in preschool for an hour on a Sunday morning. This was like 36 hours plus. And, um, aren't they cute? Um, so we kept four of them. And when the guys came home, they were like, well, how was it? And you know, was like, did y'all have fun? Well, of course we had fun. Like we made every Christmas ornament we could possibly think of. And I can't tell you how many times that we went outside. No one got lost. No one died. Everyone cried, but no one died. Like, how do you think it was? Or people ask me one of my favorite questions. How are those grandkids? You know what my answer is? It's like, they are adorably exhausting. It's a paradox. So like, we took this photo 
And I don't really have the photo of what happened because it took us two seconds. Like, you got to click that in two seconds because on three seconds, this is what it looks like. And four seconds, that's what it looks like. And five seconds looks like that. Like, you just have a small amount of times. It is a paradox. And what we're going to look at as we keep traveling through this scripture is that the things that God desires for us to know and to act upon sometimes can feel like a paradox, but his knowledge of us is terrifyingly trustworthy. Why do I say that? Because in Psalm 139, verse 1, it simply says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Who? Who is it that has searched me and known me? God. Who is that? Like, who is God? Is he not all-knowing? Is he not Lord over everything? And if we believe that he is Lord over everything and yet he's searching me and he knows me, like, that is terrifying. And yet it is also trustworthy. Job, who is this guy that we read about in Scripture, he experienced so much loss death in his family, loss of his wealth. He endured a painful illness. He's wrestling with God and he's wrestling with his friends. And I want us to look at this, what he, what God says to him when he tells Job, hey, Job, stand up like a man and let me ask you some questions now. You've been questioning me. Let me question you. This is from a message paraphrase and it just puts it so simple. I want us to see it. It says this, God is, God is speaking. Why do you talk about knowing what, what, why do you talk without knowing what it is you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundations poured? And who took charge of the ocean? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and I tucked it in safely at night. And have you ever ordered the morning to get up or told the dawn to get to work? Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things, explored the labyrinth caves of a deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you even have a beginning of an answer. Job's response with humility and vulnerability was this, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked who is this second-guessing my purposes? I admit it. I was the one. I babbled on about things that are far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on the crust of hearsay and the crumbs of rumors. God knowing us, God being with us, says more about him than it says about us. When we come to scripture, often we're looking for very personal verses. I want you to go to scripture. I want you to go, what does it say about God? 
We could take a lot of these passages and we could put them into a bucket over here. And on this bucket, we could simply write on this bucket, doctrine of God. And we could put in this bucket, boys and girls, we could put this, that God knows all things. Say it with me. God knows all things. In other words, here's a big word that we used to say this. He is omniscient. Another thing that we could put in there is that God is unknowable. Say it with me. God is unknowable. The big word for this is transcendence. It means that God's sovereignty, his supremacy, his holiness, his limitlessness, if you will, is completely unknowable. In Psalm 145, verse 3, it says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And yet, we could put something else in this bucket. This is going to seem like a paradox, that God is knowable. Big word for this is imminence, that in his intimacy with us, he desires us to be intimate with him. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, what? That he understands and he knows me. David is saying that God knows all things about him perfectly, completely, personally, and intimately. He goes on in verse 2 and says this, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Basically, you could put out to the side of that, God, you know it all. You know not just all things in this world. You know all things about me. All my emotions, all my emotions, all my actions, all my motivations, everything in my imagination, And even while we may show up here at times clothed and masked, and when people say, how are you doing? You say, fine, and we pretend publicly we are unmasked and we are naked before God privately. It says this, it says, listen, kids, that God knows wherever I sit. He knows when I'm sitting in front of the TV, when I'm on a couch with a friend, what I'm watching at my friend's house when my parents aren't there. He knows when I'm sitting in the principal's office in that chair. He knows when I'm sitting in the school desk chair. Adults, he knows when you're at the office in front of your computer, when you're at the ball game, when you're in the bar, when you're at church, when you're not at church, when you're sitting in a wheelchair or a high chair. He knows when I'm in my car. He knows where I walk and who I am walking with. He knows when I'm in bed and who I am in bed with. He knows my heart when I walk into a room craving to be the center of attention only to leave questioning. Am I loved? He knows the insecure person who walks into a room withdrawn and quiet, but then leaves questioning, am I seen? He knows when you feel proud of an accomplishment that no one else applauds and you leave feeling unappreciated, asking, do I even matter? He knows when we are emotionally walled off, but with God there are no walls. 
He knows when you drive off in anger, you hide in the bathroom in tears. He knows when you think that you're lost, afraid, depressed, oppressed, forgotten, broken, depleted, at the end, had it up to here. He knows when you've won, when you've lost, when you've succeeded, when you fell, when you feel accepted, adored, annoyed, offended, loved, disliked, frustrated, delighted, excited, content, calm, tired, bored, surprised, disgusted, overwhelmed, pleased, panicked, insulted, bitter, anxious, calm, alone, prideful, pleasure, joy, dismay. Did I miss anything? He knows all things about you and it is terrifyingly wonderful. In verse six, it says that he hemmed us in. And I used to think of this like, God's like sewing us up, you know, almost like putting on elbow pads and a helmet and knee pads and like, you know, a chest plate for protection. And then on top of that bubble wrap, just to make sure we're all, you know, contained and we're safe and we're protected. But what this word really means in the original language, it is a military term. It's a term to where an enemy is pursuing these people and the people have nowhere else to go. They have been walled off. They have been cornered. They have summited as high as they can. It is an inescapable place. That is what David is saying. He's saying, look, I can't go anywhere else. I've tried. I've tried to hide. I've tried to run. I've tried to escape. And you know what I've learned? You are inescapable. Which goes to number two in the next stanza is this, that God sees me. His presence is inescapably freeing. And David asks two rhetorical questions. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Boys and girls, can you hide from God? No. It says this in verse eight, if I ascend to heaven, he's there. So basically, if everything is great, God is there. If I make my bed in soul or if everything feels like hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, listen, it's going to get really poetic. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. When we're asleep in bed at night and there are no other lights, boys and girls, darkness isn't dark to God. He still sees all things. He's saying this, basically, in a very poetic way. If I take the wings in the morning, so basically when the sun rises to when the sun sets, and I travel at the speed of light, everybody do this. In the time it took you to snap, light traveled around the world seven times. If I take travel at the speed of light and I dwell in the remotest place on the earth, in the sea, where is that? Where is the remotest place? Well, maybe it's one of two places. Maybe it's a place called, I forgot the name of it, Tristan da Cunha. And it's this little island that is located 1,750 miles away from any other land. Maybe it's there. Or maybe it's 36,000 feet deep in the sea in a place called the Marina Trench. Now, I don't know if you've ever been scuba diving, but if you go scuba diving, you can put on your gear and you can descend into the ocean. And you can descend to probably about 120 feet. At 120 feet, you'll start feeling lightheaded because of all the nitrogen buildup in your body. And you will pass out. 
but your body may continue to descend. And when it gets to about 800 feet deep in the water, your lungs and your body, because of the pressure in the water, will be crushed, kind of like taking an wa- empty water bottle and just squeezing it. That's what would happen at 800 feet, and you would still have another 35,000 feet to fall and hit the bottom. And David is saying, even there, you see me. Even there, you exist. The first time that we forgot our kids, um, <laughs> you caught on pretty early. Um, we, it was when we were starting Grace Point Church and we were meeting in a school and our kids would help us like unload the trailer and set everything up. And afterwards, we would have everyone over at our house. Like that's where we would do our first step experience. We would come to our house. We would have a meal, all these kinds of things. We didn't have a building. And so this one particular Sunday, I left after the service to go home and get the meal prepared for everyone. Mike was getting all the things loaded up into the trailer to go and take it and to be parked. And I'm at home, Mike's at home, all the people that were coming for the first experience are in our home, and the doorbell rings. And I go and open the door, and there stand some church members with our three kids. And I'm looking at Mike like, I thought you had them. And he's looking at me like, I thought you had them. The second time that, um, well, we forgot Josh specifically, um, he was about four, and, you know, they get pretty independent, even in their car seat. So we pulled up in our garage and our cool minivan, and he w- opened, we would open up the doors, and he normally would, like, unbuckle his seatbelt and get out himself. So we go through the motions, and we all go inside, and the doors shut. I don't even know what we were doing, probably watching a football game, like Auburn and Alabama. Um, anybody watch that game? <laughs> yeah. Um, And so we're in the house, and the doorbell rings, and it's our neighbor, and he's got Josh, who's like all red-faced, tears, like nearly (gasps) hyperventilating, kind of crying, and he's like, I heard this screaming, so I just followed the sound, and your son was tangled up in his seatbelt in the garage, screaming. The third time that I forgot our kids, I'd gone to Walmart, Mike came to Walmart after me. Um, I was working on getting some photos printed back in the day, and Mike came to buy some supplies with a friend of ours that was from Africa. And so Mike sees me, and he says, hey, can I leave Josh with you? And I said, yeah, great. And he said, okay, fine, I'll see you at home. You've got Josh. Yes, I've got Josh. Um, and Josh says, hey, Mom, there's, like, video games over here. Can I, like, go and play them while you're doing that? And I said, yes, Josh is about 10 at this point. And uh, he goes over there. All my things get developed, and... Um, I go and get a few other supplies, and I check out, and I get in my cool minivan, and I drive home. I'm driving home, and my phone rings, but I don't even recognize the number, and I almost didn't even answer it because that's what you do, right? And so I thought, well, I don't know. For whatever reason, I picked up the phone, and I answered it, and on the other end, this 10-year-old kid goes, Mom, you left me at Walmart." And like all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness, like don't move, Josh, I'm coming right now. I turned my minivan around. I didn't get a ticket for speeding, but I got there as fast as I could. And when I pull up in the parking lot, Josh is standing outside the front doors and he's just going like this. Listen, I don't know the depth of what you're going through, the landscape that you're traveling. I do know that personally sometimes the mountains can seem higher than you can transcend and the valleys seem deeper than you can endure. And while you might not feel it, 
It is truth that God has not forgotten you. You can reject him, question him, be completely unaware of him, and yet our unawareness of him doesn't alter his awareness of us. Number three, God created and loves me. In other words, his thoughts toward me are fearfully wonderful. It says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, I am still with you. Ever tried to count the sand on a beach? God's thoughts toward me are powerfully immeasurable, but they are also immeasurably powerful. What do I mean by that? I mean this, God doesn't just know you, he foreknew you. It means before you existed, boys and girls, God knew you. And he wrote a book, and he put every one of your days that you would exist in this book. He knows all the days for you. And what we often do is we think of God's power as some kind of thunderous, earth-shaking kind of thing But what we're seeing here in this scripture, that God's power is displayed in the unknown intricacies of how we were created. You are intricately and wonderfully made, even though you may be unaware of all your 213 bones, even though you may be unaware of somewhere the estimate of 37.2 trillion cells in your body even though you may be unaware of the arteries that are carrying oxygen-rich blood to your muscles and to your brain so that you can function. And then the veins are taking the deoxygenated blood and going one way, traveling back to your heart. And then you have these little capillaries that are, some of them are about the size of one-third the thickness of a hair that are connecting all the veins and arteries. But if you were to take all of these vessels in your body and you were to make them into a linear straight line, they would stretch out about 60,000 miles. God knows every intricacy about you and he ordained every day for you. Number four, God is with me. And this intimacy is disturbingly comforting. It both disturbs me and it comforts me. I almost skipped this next passage Because it's really hard sometimes to reconcile with what David has been saying. And then we go into this other section. It's kind of some dark verses, but (laughs) we're going to read them. Not kidding. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. See? Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with a malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Like, how do I reconcile this? How 
how do I take care of this? It's called an imprecatory prayer. And it basically means this in short, that David isn't acting from some kind of malicious place. He's recognizing that God is sovereign over all of these. Does he not morally have hatred? Absolutely, he does. Does he not morally have anger? Yes. Listen, do I not morally hate the people who bought that child, sold them in, trafficked them, and then sold them into some kind of slavery that are now trapped in a brothel? I absolutely do. Am I not furiously, morally angry with the person who introduced my son to pornography? Absolutely, I am. But I'm recognizing this, that God is still sovereign. God still acts even in the things that are disturbing, hard to explain, wars that take place. And yet, because he is sovereign, I am also comforted. It's called an imprecatory prayer. And then the last verses, we come to the book in, where David is crying out, and we go from a recognition of God's intimacy with us to an invitation of intimacy with God, where he says this, search me, O God. And know my heart. Like he's saying, I know you know my heart, but I'm also inviting you to know all my heart. All the crevices I've kept to myself, all the secrets I've kept in the caves and in the crannies. I want you to inhabit. I want you to know it all. I'm releasing it. I'm letting it go before you. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The reality is this, is that God knows you so perfectly and completely that he can't know you any more than he already does. He can't. And yet David is taking a posture of intimacy with God and saying, God, I know you're pursuing me. Keep pursuing me. I'm, I'm inviting you. I'm, I'm pursuing you. My daughter sent a video. I was out of town. She sent a video of my two-year-old granddaughter that she had put into a swing. And my granddaughter is, is saying this. She's saying to her mom, go away, mommy, go away. Even though her mom had been pushing her in the swing, making her swing, which she loves. Go away, mommy, go away. And then in this video, what you see is you see now this two-year-old sitting in a swing and these little feet that are trying to just get her to go. And she can't go. She's not going anywhere. She kind of slows down and she's, almost stuck, just kind of going to the same motions in the same place, same motion in the same place, same motion in the same place. Till finally she recognizes, she says these words, help me, mommy. Help me, mommy. She had to, in some sense, in a material way, let go of her pride. Let go of her independence. And recognize she's not alone. She needed mom's help to continue on. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. God knows you intimately. And being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't a one-time salvation experience. I can testify to you today that today 
I needed God's help. And you know what? I've come to believe probably things won't change tomorrow, even though I hope they do, even though I willed that they would be. But I can't will God to be with me. I can't bargain him to be with me. I can't order him to be with me. I can't determine and decide for him to be with me. He already is. I simply have to say, help. Help me, God. What we're going to do is before we sing is we're going to pray the scripture. I want to show you an example of how you can pray scripture because I know we say that often. We don't know what it means. But you can take passages of scripture and you could speak a name into each of the blanks. And so we're going to see a verse here, and you're going to see some blanks in that verse right there. It says, the Lord, you have searched. And when there's a blank, like you could take the entire chapter, and you could put in a name. It might be a friend. It might be an enemy. It might be a child. It might be your spouse. Maybe someone else. Oh, Lord, you have searched. I could say my husband. You know Mike. You know when Mike sits down. You know when Mike rises up. You know Mike's thoughts from afar. And I could continue on and begin to pray for him. But we're going to step backwards a little bit, and we're going to pray this personally this morning to God. And so what I want to invite you to do is I want you to stand up. Boys and girls, I want you to stand up. You can do this too. Some of the words might be hard to say, but just kind of like in reading class, you read what you can, and then you'll figure some of the rest out on your own or later. This is Psalm 139. We're going to read these verses, but I don't want it to just be like sterile. Like this ought to actually stir up a wild faith within us. And I want it to become a prayer. Our prayer. Your prayer. Let's say this out loud. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know my thoughts from afar. You know my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in the womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Let my soul know it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every day that was formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God, how precious are your thoughts toward me. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, you are still there. God, search me and know me. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me 
in the way everlasting. Jesus, again, we simply just recognize you know all things. You are everywhere present. You are all-powerful. You are intimate with us, personal with us, and you desire us to be intimate and personal with you. God, we release to you whatever it is we might be holding that keeps us from intimacy with you. God, teach us. Teach us. And lead us as a community of your people who love, who support, challenge, encourage, uphold one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.